On May 31st, 2008, almost 13 years ago, Elite XC Primetime took place. It was, as the name implies, the first live MMA event on primetime American network television. Elite XC put its best foot forward for this event. Uh, its two biggest stars, Kimbo Slice and Gina Carano, uh, capped off the card, and they were matched up in opponents in James Thompson and Caitlin Young, who seemed designed to bring exciting fights out of them. It featured uh, Robbie Lawler in the middle of kind of his wilderness days as far as competitive accomplishments, but still one of the most reliable action fighters in the game. The show was a monstrous success. It peaked at uh, 6.5 million viewers during the main event. You may remember it's because of James Thompson's extravagant cauliflower ear that popped in the second round in the middle of what was otherwise a fight that was going rather badly for Slice, leading some people to wonder if the fix was in, if he had actually had his, his ear pumped up instead of drained, so it would be like an emergency like you know stop button for, for Slice. Whatever the reason, you remember that. Why am I talking about that event now? Well, buried on the early prelims of that card, uh, a certain skinny 20-year-old from Methuen, Massachusetts, got choked out. That ignominious uh, uh, debut in the promotion featured one, at the time, Bantamweight named Calvin Cater. Who knew that of everybody on that card, with the exception of Lawler, uh, the skinny man from Massachusetts may have gone on to accomplish more than anybody else uh, in the world of mixed martial arts. That's my long way around to saying welcome to 2022. Welcome back to the SureDog Radio Network and welcome to the SureDog Preview for UFC on ESPN 32, also known as UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Chikadze, also known as UFC Vegas 46. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, back from vacation, back to the grind, is Keith Schillen, executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. And Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. That was a fantastic intro. I was uh, I was curious because we don't talk, you know, we only we only talk on air. Me and Ben are friends. We only talk on air. We're actually mortal enemies <laughs> off air. But but uh, oh, we have to talk about the fantasy football league now, don't yeah. we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that. You are you ready to apologize to all the people that you've you've been lying to for years? Uh, that you are an honest person, and then you. You have cheated two years in a row. You have cheated in fantasy football, and by cheating, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, beat me in the finals. Uh, two years, and, and for a second, like let's call out all the rest of the guys in the league. Like you guys all suck. Me and Ben has made it to the finals two years in a row, <laughs> but I, of the two of us, I sucky more than Ben does because Ben has beaten me two years in a row. This year I wasn't even excited. This year was a beaten. Last year was exciting. I had a, I had over a hundred point lead on Ben, and he had the greatest comeback in history of sports. Just folks understand that it is ridiculous sheer luck. Like both of these seasons, I barely <laughs> snuck into the playoffs with like seven and seven records, and then just gotten hot right at the end. I'm not yeah. some kind of 4D chess playing genius. I'm just a super lucky guy. And the only reason Keith and I. Can even talk right now is that he at least got his entry feedback back uh, yeah. coming in second. So there you go. Yeah, so <laughs> we're all good. So I uh, I was listening to your intro and I'm like, where is he going with this? I I wasn't scrolling down to the 
uh, prelims, I was like, is is Ben going to go bold right out the, out the box and pick someone's ear to explode? Like, what is he doing? <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned that since Ramiz Brahimaj is on this card. Yeah, good call. Yeah, there you go. That was a, another stitch. Back, I, I didn't even think of that. Nope. Calvin Cater, first career loss. Elite XC primetime. That's so long ago. There you and, go. He's been around for a long time. I mean, people don't realize how long he's been. I mean, he, he did retire from the sport and leave the sport for a, a long time. But, yeah, he's he's a, he's been around the sport, especially the New England scene, for an extremely long time. The one thing I want to point out is this card. Like, the UFC's, if we're being honest, you know, we're kicking off 2022. Not the best card. In fact, and it got a little worse. We've had a lot of cancellations. And, I'm, and all I'm saying to myself is, you know what this is? This is the like opening weekend of college football when like Ohio State takes on like Oral Roberts, you know, and rolls them by seventy <laughs> because the ne- but the very next week they're playing Texas or something, you know, like yeah. that's that's how it's going to be for the rest of the you know next week we have the the heavyweight title fight, obviously. So this is just this is a joy. We're just we're warming up, you know. You go to the gym, we're stretching out a little bit. We're, we're warming up, and we're also gathering a little bit of delayed sport karma because basically, December the uh, the new COVID variant kind of gutted the stick and ball leagues. Like it was a serious problem for the uh, bowl, the college bowl season. It's ripped through the NBA, and the UFC just hasn't really been touched because they haven't run an event since December eighteenth. Now this card's been gutted. I mean, three fights changed today in the middle of the week. Who knows what will happen between now and fight night? Because most of this crap usually comes after Keith and I record the preview, and it happens like on weigh-ins day. Uh, you know, two fights were changed up today. We'll get to those. One was pushed to next week uh, onto the UFC 270 card, which is good because that card needs help too. It lost uh, Movsar Evloya versus Ilya Tapuria, and... If you want a little peek at what might be some problems coming down the road, it's because Avloev uh, got COVID. Avloev trains at American Top Team, which is the biggest gym in the sport, just talking in terms of like how many fighters are there and how physically big it is. So watch for upcoming cards for the next month or so to really, really be in a state of flux. If you like chaos, it's going to be a good time. If you're the kind of sharp that looks for betting opportunities as kind of weird late notice matchups come up, Keep your eyes peeled. For me, yeah. I'm just glad that we got all this news today so I could spend today cramming instead <laughs> of recording the whole thing and then finding out that a third of my work was for nothing, you know, yeah. two days which from is now. Pro- which is probably going to happen anyway. <laughs> when the card is down to four fights. The uh, Yeah, that's a lot, there's a lot to unwrap there because, um, you know, we're not going to get political and everyone has at their point their opinions on the whole COVID scare and everything. I mean, I, I think I can speak for everyone. We're all... You know, we're going into our third year. We're all sick of, of COVID at this point. But whatever's going on with the strand, and I'm not savvy enough in the sciences to really understand. But everybody's tested positive for COVID right now. In every sport, I know in my personal life, my neighbor across the street has COVID. My coworkers, I'm like surrounded by coworkers. I mean, heck, I might have it. I don't even know. You know, it's it's terrible. And then I think we're like the NFL playoffs coming up. Like I just keep thinking. You know, the regular season has been, I mean, when Aaron Rodgers couldn't play a game, you know, yeah. but what happens if in the playoffs is some big star, Patrick Mahomes, 
Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, one of these guys gets COVID and, and, and has to miss a week. I, I can't imagine what will happen because it seems different this year than than past years. But uh, we're talking about fights. We got, what, 10 fights to break down? We got 10 fights to break down. Uh, and unless you've got anything else, we, we can just dive right into uh, the first one. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, the I believe they're doing five fight undercard and five fight main card. So the five fight undercard of UFC Vegas 46 starts with what is now an ad hoc featherweight fight between Brian Kelleher, who had been scheduled to fight at Bantamweight, and Kevin Kroom, who steps up on short notice. Uh, Kelleher, the 35-year-old Long Island native, is 23-12 and 12 overall. He is 7-5 and five since joining the UFC out of... Uh, Ring of Combat and CES and a bunch of Northeast promotions. Uh, he is currently uh, coming off a win. He took a unanimous decision over Domingo Pilarte last August at UFC on ESPN, Cannoneer versus Gastelum. Uh, he is taking on Kroom, the man who the Fight Finder has down as going by the nickname Crash, but also calls himself the hard-hitting hillbilly, is 34 years old, out of Columbia, Missouri, product of glory, MMA, and fitness, which has made itself into the premier provider of short notice opponents for the UFC. I don't know what kind of pipeline they have going on. It's not like they're in Vegas. I mean, they're in uh, uh, Kansas City. But if you need someone on short notice, Glory MMA has got your guy or girl. So uh, at any rate, he is 21 and 13 with one no contest overall. He's 0-1 with one no contest uh, since joining the UFC. Though, uh, to be fair to him, that no contest was him absolutely strangling the crap out of Roosevelt Roberts, getting a performance of the night bonus for it, just guillotine choke in like 30 seconds that was so vicious that he basically lifted Roberts off the ground by his neck and stuck him on the fence and then tested positive for weed. So make of that what you will. Uh, odds on this one, there literally are no odds yet uh, as of Wednesday night. Like the, the other ad hoc matchup, TJ Brown versus Charles Rosa that we'll talk about next, that one already has odds. This one doesn't. So... I mean, look out for those. Uh, Kelleher was originally scheduled to take on uh, Saeed Yakub Kakramanov. Uh, it's a mouthful. He's a serious bantamweight uh, prospect. Uh, instead, now he, he meets Kroom at 145. I'll, I'll say this. I mean, it, this certainly isn't as important a fight anymore because I really like Kelleher at Bantamweight as kind of a guy to greet new people coming into the UFC. I think he pr presents just kind of a good challenge, a good meter of whether they're UFC ready. Uh, at 145, you know, he's fought at 145 pounds a couple times before, but, you know, he's not a featherweight. So if he wins, it doesn't really help him at all. It doesn't advance him in the Bantamweight rankings he's never going to step up to featherweight full-time i can't imagine but this fight against Kroom should be a fun one i think because both of them are kind of caution to the wind aggressive guys both of them are really dangerous in uh the first round and both of them they're i mean their achilles heel is kind of defensive lapses on the feet as well as on the ground so i'm i mean i would not be surprised at all if this thing doesn't make it out of the first round but I, I'm leaning towards Kelleher here, even though he's going to be at quite a size disadvantage against Kroom, just as the guy who's, uh, I mean, he's been training for a fight. Uh, he's been training for a fight with a guy that was going to be uh, bigger than him anyway, like uh, 
Kakramanov like really has the the same kind of uh, build and reach as Kroom anyway. Uh, and now he's not going to have to cut weight, so you know gas tank should be in his favor, so he can go for broke uh, early on. And, and unless he gets caught with something, you know, I, I think he's going to be the one that does the catching. Uh, my off the cuff pick is that Kelleher finds a submission probably in the second round, although it could also be a knockout. And you are muted, Keith. Yeah, I, I'm trying. I was I had all these things on, but I couldn't find where my <laughs> screen was. Sorry, we're off to a great start in 2022. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't have too much notes on Kroom, considering I found out this uh, fight was changed five minutes ago, like right before we went on air. So uh, it's it's too bad because I was looking forward to uh, seeing Kakmanov go in there. He's a guy that I like a lot. Uh, Move on to Kelleher. I'll start with him first. You know, I think you summed him up really good. Like, you kind of know what you can get with him. He's not a great athlete, but he has so much experience, and he tends to just thrive when kind of doubted or being an underdog. Now, I, you said there's no odds for this. I don't expect him to be the underdog for this. But I just mean that just the underdog and in, in how far he's accomplished and so far in the UFC, he kind of reminds me of, like, a Gerald Merchard where you cut him out, but the guy's so crafty. He just finds oh. ways to win. He, We're talking about he, Court McGee in a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah, another another guy one, yeah, 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 another one that fits in that category. Uh, Kelleher is well-rounded, but not great anywhere. But he, I think he's fairly technically sound. He switches stance as well. He uses feints well. Uh, he likes to counter-strike. He's pretty crafty with that. Uh, high volume. He doesn't check leg kicks, but he has deceiving power. I mean, he has that, he has that like, drop-you-to-your-butt power, like, not put you out, but just kind of sting you for a second. He's, an, I would say, an above-average wrestler, but he always seems to find a way to get to the fight to the ground. And you can't make a mistake with him. Like, he, he'll defend a takedown by jumping on a guillotine, and he's really good and opportunistic to end the fight with that. Now, moving to Corey Kroom, I'm just going to be 100% honest. Like, I, I just scrambled real quick to find my old notes on Corey Kroom, and I'm like, you know what? I didn't do any tape study for this fight for, uh, you know, according to Corey Kroom. Um, so I'm just going to read my last notes. Uh, so he's kind of the definition of a grizzled regional journeyman. I, I'm glad he got his shot in the UFC. Uh, I know he he's had that win taken away, but I'm glad he won a fight. That said, I said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think Cor- uh, Kevin Kroom, I'm sorry, uh, Kevin Kroom is, is a UFC-level fighter. Uh, he's tough. I'll give him that. He's he's a bit of a brawler. He's got some good pop. We saw that against Roosevelt Roberts. He is a submission threat. He does have 10 subs on his record, uh, or 11 subs, I think it is. And he can take a beating. Like I go back to like the beating he took from Matt Bissett in CES. But he just simply doesn't have the physical tools to succeed at this level. Maybe he can land a lucky shot like – I shouldn't say lucky shot, but maybe he lands a big shot. But a guy, he he, he came to the UFC fighting at 155. I know he's kind of bounced around between 155 and 145. But taking the fight less than 48 hours before you have to weigh in, I don't know how much weight he has to cut. Then you have your opponent who's probably walking around or maybe has one or two pounds to cut now. It's just such an advantage in that. Yeah, Kroom will be bigger than Kelleher, but I just – I see Kelleher – to me, this this is a battle of two journeymen, but one of them is actually good. So I think Keller is better than Kroom everywhere besides maybe power. I think Keller catches Kroom, and I think he's going to catch him in that guillotine that, that he loves. So give me Keller by second-round submission. 
All right, there you have it. Uh, two picks for Brian Kelleher to get a second-round submission against the late-notice Kevin Krum. Next up on the UFC on ESPN 32 undercard is another featherweight matchup and another uh, last-minute booking as TJ Brown had been scheduled to face uh, Gabriel Benitez. Benitez is out, and in steps Charles Rosa. Uh, Brown, another Glory MMA and Fitness product, 31 years old, is 15 and 8 overall. He is 1 and 2 since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, <clears throat> he won his last fight, uh, it was last May, took a split decision over Kai Kamaka at UFC on ESPN Reyes versus Prohaska. Worth noting that that was roundly can. Uh, condemned as one of the worst decisions, one of the worst robberies of 2021. So make of that what you will. But that's the only thing separating him from being 0-3 in the UFC as he lost his first two fights to uh, Jordan Griffin and Danny Chavez. Uh, however, by hook or by crook, he got the win that may very well have saved his roster spot for him. And here he takes on Rosa. The man who goes by Boston Strong is 35 years old out of Peabody, Massachusetts. He is 14-6 and six overall. He's five and six since joining the UFC uh, out of CES, and he has alternated wins and losses uh, for that entire time. So he is five and six because he lost his last time out. If the streak is going to stay alive or the pattern is going to stay alive, he is due for a win. Uh, however, the odds makers think the pattern's about to break as Brown is a prohibitive favorite. Uh, odds are out on this one, and Brown is minus 280. Rosa plus 235 or plus 240. That's still probably going to shift throughout the week. I, I imagine some money's going to come in on Rosa from people who see value in that. And while I am not much of a better, count me in uh, as among those who see value in that because I hate to steal Keith's thunder and steal his uh, his line, but TJ Brown should not be a three to one favorite over anybody in the UFC. I, I mean, it's just, it's just as simple as that. <laughs> that I was mean, the exact thing I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, and this is no patch on him because he's been generally uh, competitive in his fights, but he is a robbery of a decision away from being 0-3 in the UFC against non-contender level featherweights, you know? So for him to be a, such a huge favorite over somebody in Rosa who, I mean, he's not been a world beater, but he's literally alternated wins and losses through his entire UFC career. He's never lost back-to-back -back fights. He's been generally competitive in most of them. Uh, my only, the only thing that's keeping me from uh, just putting a stamp on this fight as Charles Rosa is the best value on this card, go out and get the hotcakes while you can, is that Rosa at his best is not much of a round winner. He's just, he's really deliberate. He he has trouble doing things that really put a stamp on a round and, and win him that round. So he has trouble winning decisions. Uh, just, you know, low output, deliberate. Uh, his best area is the ground, regardless of, of what you saw in the, in the Bryce Mitchell fight. Rosa, you know, he's, he's good on the ground generally, but often doesn't try to get it there until too late and isn't great at getting it there. So there's every chance that, he could just end up losing by decision to Brown and it might be another crummy decision, not as bad as the Kamaka one, but where we're just shaking our head. Well, I mean, yeah, you probably should have won, but you could have gone out and gotten this fight and for yourself if you wanted. And considering that he's coming in on short notice, who knows what his weight cut's going to look like, who knows how his cardio is going to feel to him. Uh, I think 
one of two things will happen. Either he'll come out like a house on fire, uncharacteristic for him, and just try to put this away before he gasses, or he'll be even more deliberate and reserved than usual. And again, it'll just be there for the taking for Brown. This fight is full of unknowns for me, but I, I feel like I, if I pick anything other than Brown winning a decision, I'm going to feel dumb about it after. So give me TJ Brown. And I don't very often call a fight to be a split decision, but considering that Brown literally in his last fight won a split decision in a fight where he might've lost all three rounds, give me Brown probably by split decision. I, I think it was just a conspiracy by the judges to get Scott Coker, Guy Kamaka, the, the missing piece that Bellator needs to take over as the dominant force in MMA. Uh, yeah, so TJ Brown, he's a guy that I'm very familiar with because he came on the contender series when I was still doing the previews. Uh, yeah, he's a wrestle boxer on the feet, quick jab. Uh, his straight right has some decent pop in it. He throws a lot of kicks. He'll sneak in a high kick, but defensively, he has a lot of flaws. He drops his hands. He keeps his chin high. He's been rocked. I think every single fight he's been in, he's been rocked. Uh, as far as the grappling, solid wrestler. I like that he chain wrestles takedowns together. Uh, nice uh, dropping down under, underneath like power shots from his opponent. Uh, he'll catch a kick if you're lazy, which would do pretty well against a guy like Charles Rosso. He likes to throw those. Kali home sidekicks. Um, I'd say he's a strong grappler, but you know he's not nothing spectacular. Like he can get some missions. He likes to look for the head and arm choke, but he also just stay in the guard, ground and pound, pretty solid top control. The move over to Charles Rosa. Um, again, same thing. Five minutes ago, I learned about this fight, so I'm just kind of copy and pasting his my last notes. You know, karate style guy, a lot of side stance, uh, the Holly home push kicks. Good movement, pretty elusive. He's a better athlete than you think for a guy who's, you know, I think it's fair to say a mid-level to lower-level UFC talent. Good movement. He's elusive. Uh, a lot of di- a lot of variety in his attacks, uh, but I think most of his stand-up is coming off of his kicks because his I think his boxing is kind of limited. I think his hands are a little slow. A lot of single strikes, as you mentioned, you know, fighting at a slower pace. I've said this before. He admires his work. He where he kind of keeps his chin a little high and, and he tries to see what's landing. Um, not ready for counters, uh, and he's a little slow. He's taken a lot of damage over the years. We talked about. You mentioned the Mitchell fight. I think the Minner fight was another one. The Burgos fight. The even like even a fight like he won against Bosniak. He took a lot of damage. Uh, his last fight. Uh, who did he, uh, he get beat up? By, um, Who's his last opponent? Uh, uh, Rosa's last opponent was Damon Jackson. Oh, Damon Jackson! Like that was a like he lost that fight. So he was shooting for a takedown, and he's he's a smart. Like, he's a he kind of has a Kelleher thing in him where he's not a powerful wrestler, but he will get the fight to the ground. But he's a very weak defensive wrestler, though he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I want to disagree with you when you say that. He's strong on the ground. I don't think he's strong on the ground at all. I mean, we saw what Bryce Mitchell did. We saw what Derek Minnett did to him. Uh, um, he lost his last fight by just being out-wrestled. Uh, I think a lot of it does. In, in it, I've said that we've talked about this before. 
maybe if a guy spent less time in jujitsu, they would. It's gonna sound so counterproductive. What I'm trying to say, if he spent less time doing jujitsu, he actually might be better on the ground because he would panic a little bit more to work his way up. Now I know people say, "Oh, he submitted Manny Bermudez." Yeah, cool, but he's looked like crap ever since. He'll go for like leg locks and and he's faded into fights on the ground. So I just. I wish he played less jujitsu and, and would just try to work his way back up. So as far as prediction goes, I was picking Benitez to beat Brown, but I'm going to take Brown to beat Rosa. Sim, uh, Rosa's, I just, I just think he's better on the ground, and I can see Brown taking him down, holding him down, adding in the cardio advantage that he should have, being Rosa taking the fight on short notice. So give me Brown by decision. Next up, we head up to the welterweight division for a matchup between, well, uh, the aged, grizzled veteran Court McGee and the uh, fresh up-and-comer Ramiz Brahimaj. I'm just going to say, if you looked at these two guys, their ages, the way they look, their records, and I told you one of these dudes had a piece fall off of his body in his last fight, you probably would have thought it was McGee. It was not. Uh, McGee, the 37-year-old Utahn uh, fighting out of Colorado, Factory X product, is 20 and 10 over the course of his career. He is an even nine and nine since uh, coming to the UFC as the winner of the 11th season of the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he is six and seven since dropping to welterweight for good. Uh, notable in there, I mean, he has a legit win over Robert Whitaker, even if it was at his better weight class and Whitaker's worst weight class. But there you have it. Uh, he is taking on Brahimash, the uh, 29-year-old out of the Bronx is 9-3 and three overall. He is 1-1 one and one since joining the UFC as a standout at, uh, out of uh, Legacy Fighting Alliance. Uh, again, just a, worth noting, his one loss in the UFC was that TKO via doctor stoppage against Max Griffin, where he took an elbow to the head and just literally the top half of his ear came off. Uh, revolting and hard to watch, but... I mean, that was halfway through the third round of a fight that was literally anybody's fight at that point. Each of them had clearly won one of the first two rounds, and that was shaping up to be a wild round. Like, the strike that stopped him because of the injury, it's not like it knocked him out. So, uh, you know, with a little better duct tape on his ear, he might be 2-0 in the UFC right now. Uh, this one, about as close to a pick'em as you're going to find on the card, but at the moment, McGee is just the slightest of favorites. He's minus 115, where uh, you can get Brahimaj at minus 105, not quite even money. Uh, Keith, it's age versus beauty. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if either of these guys is beautiful, but uh, it's certainly the grizzled veteran versus the young up-and-comer. Uh, who you got in this one and how? Yeah, so... Man, I'll say this about Court McGee. Like, I was ready to write this guy off, and he's not a great athlete or any of that, but he looked pretty good in his last fight. Uh, on the feet, he's got you know basic boxing. He's kind of slow, but he's he's smart. He attacks the body. He loves his straight right to the body. Um, some defensive flaws. He's a little bit a little bit of head movement. He needs to improve on. Um, but he did show some good power uh, suddenly against. Uh, on the feet against Claudio Silva, he obviously has always been freakishly strong. <laughs> Seems like to be the theme of this guy. Not a great wrestler, but intelligent enough no to know when an opening is there to get the fight to the ground. And when he's on top, well, one, he's hard to take down if you try to take him down. But when he's on top, he's 
he, he'll just grind. He'll just stall on top, just be heavy, wear you out. Uh, he does has five submission wins, but he hasn't got a sub since 2010. So it, at this point, it's more of just a stat than I think of a tool. Now, Brocky Miles, uh, on the feet, he's exciting. Like he's he's you know he's known for his ground game, but on the feet, he's exciting. He fights behind a high guard. He does uh, slip his head off the center line. Well, <laughs> not apparently not enough, but uh, his offense, some offensive tools he has. It works behind a jab. He knows uh, he uses it to set up his power shots. Really steps into his shots. I, I really like his straight right that he was landing against Max Griffin. Um, one of the issues I have with him though is is he'll he can be a little low output. Uh, he'll also telegraph his shots a little bit, making it easy to avoid. Like Max Griffin was avoiding a lot of his shots with some good footwork. Um, he was so, and he doesn't cut off the cage. He follows. And he's he's a little slow. Like, he was beat to the punch by Max Griffin. Like, he's not a great athlete either. Um, but he, he's got a good chin, as you mentioned. Like, he was getting hit with some big shots from Max Griffin and, and didn't go down. Uh, as far as the ground goes, though, uh, he's special on the ground. I would say, similar to Court McGee, he's not a great wrestler. He, he doesn't have this, like, power double. He, he kind of prefers this Damian Myers snatch single game. But if the if the fight hits the ground, he's a legit submission threat. He's competed in some really high percentages to tournaments, like world championship type tournaments. All of his wins have come by way of submission. I think he's got nine wins, and all nine have been by sub. So that's something you like. So as far as prediction goes, I have more confidence in Court McGee now than I did heading into his last fight. And I, I give him a much better shot than I would have guessed if you asked me six months ago. But I still don't have a lot of confidence taking Court McGee in 2002. I mean, he's been in the UFC for a long time. He's been in some wars. He's getting up there in age. And, like, not to be insensitive, but this is a guy who is extremely open about being a former drug addict. Who knows what damage you do to the body because of that. Um, but he's looked better. But I'm still going to go with Brocky Mars. He's the better athlete. Um an area where McGee usually finds his comfort is in grappling, but that's really right up Brockyma's alley. Like that's what Brockyma wants. He wants you to take him down. McGee has never been submitted, so I don't see that happening here. But I see Brockyma just winning position, maybe riding his back or, or or something like that for a long period of time, and just winning a decision. So give me Brockyma to win his first fight by decision. Awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like all the dynamics you're laying out there, I was certainly surprised, pleasantly surprised, because again, you know, I, I, I came up, uh, you know, a lot of my formative years as a fan in Utah. So, I mean, guys like Court McGee and, you know, Steve Seiler, I saw a fight in front of like 150 dudes when nobody knew who they were. Uh, so it's always good to see him do well, especially someone with a story like McGee, you know? I remember McGee on Tough just... Absolutely. The, the kind of stories he would tell with a straight face, like... It made them funny and sad at the same time. He's like, you know, I, I know I can't take substances, you know, because I'll drink one beer and I'll wake up three days later, like in a car that's not mine with no shirt on. And I don't know where I am. Like, <laughs> it's great. It's great to think that he yeah. they were talking about this in his last fight, that he will have a surgery and take like no main, no, no medication, nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine. No, it, it's it's and, you know, and you see him on the little segments and like you can tell he's like a happy, productive family man. You've never heard 
news of him in the you know for the wrong reasons in yeah. all this time he's been in the UFC. So great story. He's a guy you but, root for. Yeah, I'm, I'm like yeah. even though I said like these things about him like fading, but he's a guy you root for. Yeah, and he's already won in and, life, and he's already won in life, and maybe it's because he like you know died and had to be you know defibrillated you know back to life maybe he has undead strength because he ha like when you shake the guy's hand he's not trying to hurt you but he just like there's a crush like uh, the crusher is the perfect nickname for him you you can just tell that you know this guy like i mean he he doesn't drink but he can probably like just you know open beer cans by glaring at them i uh my my problem with the claudio silva uh thing is silva is a guy who's he's never quite lived up to the potential he seemed to have and he's two years older than mcgee i mean he's 39 i or he was at least 38 when they when they fought so i don't know how much to take from that you're right that you know brahim is best chance to win this is with i mean certainly his best skill set is his grappling mcgee's safe place especially in this twilight of his career is kind of grinding people in the clinch or on the ground, and that might not be a safe place against Brahimaj. I've seen what it looks like when Court McGee gets soundly out-wrestled and grappled to a decision win, because he fought Sean Brady like a year and a half, or, you know, like two years ago, and that's what it looked like. But Brady is a, not only a very good grappler, but, you know, kind of a special wrestler for MMA as well. I don't know if Brahimaj can, uh, I don't know if, if he can pull off that same game plan, because the other people that have beaten McGee recently, Carlos Condit, that fight really never went to the ground. The problem is that Condit like blew McGee's nose up in the first round and then started kicking the crap out of his legs and just he was he was quicker and a better striker. Just I'm gonna see something here like that I haven't seen before, no matter what. Like it Brahimaj winning a decision is something we've never seen. McGee losing by submission is something we've never seen. Like everything in me is just saying that McGee finds a way to dig this one out. And it goes down as maybe like his last really good win of his career. And I understand why the odds are what they are, but I I, I don't think that the Silva fight means all of a sudden that there's like any magic left. I, I still think it's Brahimaj's time. So uh, give me Brahimaj. And like you, I, I don't think McGee's gone over such a cliff that Brahimaj is just going to, you know, like take his neck and choke him out. But I bet McGee's going to spend a lot of the time of this fight on the ground, just kind of in survival mode and just staying alive, kind of like he did in, in the in the Brady fight. Give me Brahimaj by decision and probably kind of a lopsided one. Next up on the UFC Vegas 46 prelims is a middleweight matchup between Jamie Pickett and Joseph Holmes. Pickett, the 33-year-old North Carolina native, is 12 and 6 overall. He is 1 and 2 in the UFC after going one and two in Dana White's Contender Series, as he appeared on the show in seasons one, three, and four, uh, finally getting the win, which propelled him to uh, to the big show. Uh, since then, again, you know, mixed results. He lost back-to-back -back fights to Tafan Ntukwi and Jordan Wright to open up his uh, UFC career, came back with a win over Laureano Staropoli at UFC Fight Night Costa versus Vittori last October. He will be welcoming to the UFC uh, Holmes, the 26-year-old who goes by the nickname Ugly Man. I'm not the best judge of guys' looks, but he doesn't look particularly uglier than any other fighter to me, but he's from Dallas, so I'll allow it. Uh, he is 7-1 and one overall. 
this will be his first uh, fight in the UFC. He fought on uh, the Contender Series last October, got a win, but was not signed immediately. So he came on down to Houston, you know, drove on down I-45 uh, I and fought at, at uh, Fury Fighting Championship 53 in November, uh, knocked out Jonathan Patti in the first round. That uh, has propelled him uh, to the UFC. And uh, the odds are actually in his favor. He is minus 145, picket plus 125, uh, as the slight underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? How do you see this fight going? Yeah, so this is an intriguing one with a guy making his debut. Um, Pickett, Pickett is extremely just inconsistent. Like, there's times he looks good, and then there's times he just looks terrible. Uh, I mean, one fight he can have high output, and the next fight he'll have extremely low output. I mean, even his chin can be inconsistent. I mean, this is a guy who... Doesn't get knocked out by a power puncher like Nchukwe, but then he gets flattened by Jordan Wright. So, and I know that was on the ground, but I mean, he was getting beat up before that. Mm-hmm. The good Jamie Pickett is well rounded. He has, you know, um, let's say fairly fast hands. He does well to mix it up, keep his his opponents guessing with, with feints. He switches stances a lot to keep them guessing. Uh, he likes to be the aggressive fighter, lead the dance, and not be forced on his back foot. Uh, he uses movement well to move away. I'd say he has plus power. He doesn't possess one-punch knockout power. Uh, he can be exciting at times. Like I, I said that he, he'll have a low output, and then on all the fights he's throwing flying knees, so you don't know. Uh, but one thing I don't like about him is he doesn't have much of a kicking game at all. He doesn't check leg kicks. Uh, I would. He's probably a better grappler than he is a striker. Uh, he's a good chain wrestler, got some good ground and pound. Uh, he only has one submission on a, on his record, so I wouldn't say he's a submission threat. Uh, and, and he makes a mistake of like chasing a submission and losing position. And if he ends up on bottom, he really struggles to get back up. And I think overall, the worst part of his game is he's not a great athlete. Like he's that's and he's yeah, he, he always kind of like lacks a little bit of a speed advantage. Now, move over to Holmes. Holmes is kind of the opposite. Holmes is a very raw product. He's 26. He's a huge middleweight. Of course, he's on this card because James Krause, glory MMA and fitness product. Uh, but he's he's long and lengthy. Like I said, he's raw. He's hardly a finished product. Some things I do like on the feet, good feints, uh, a lot of long strikes, likes to keep his distance, uses kicks well to keep range. But he also like, will throw a high kick and, and – We've talked about this before. Even if you don't land the high kick, it one, it looks good for the judges, and obviously it just hurts. You could break an arm blocking it and uh, just, you know, cause a contusion and something like that and just, you know, slow down your opponent's striking. Uh, some issues I've seen from tape study, a little bit of a low output at times, single strikes in, in, with the hands. He also has tall man's defense where he either pulls his head straight back or pulls it straight back to one side, which I don't like. I do like that he mixes up. He, if you get, if you start crashing the pocket, of him he looks to grapple. Uh, he'll shoot for a takedown. Not a strong wrestler, more of a, you know, not drive through your hands, more of a clinch takedown game where he gets kind of like just like a slide by, try to put a hook in, get behind you. Uh, but he's got really good back takes. So if he gets that position, when he gets his hooks in, it's really hard to get him off because he's got these really long legs and he's got five subs on his on his record. So. As far as prediction goes, this is a really close fight because um, 
the defensive holes of Holmes on the feet is is troublesome, but he is a physical specimen, and he's at the age where you see improvements, and he's with a good team that we've seen guys in that team making improvements fight to fight. I think he uses his range from the outside. I think he does well there. I think he adds in maybe a takedown or two or just wouldn't, you know, maybe hold a dominant position against the cage. Uh, I don't think he submits Pickett, but I, I think he does enough to win a decision. Give me Holmes to win a decision, but I think it's going to be a really close fight. Uh I, I love that you pointed out the inconsistency in Pickett because if you could guarantee me that we're getting good Pickett this time, I actually, you know, feel pretty good picking him, you know, even as the, the slight underdog. But as you pointed out, we don't know which Pickett we're going to get. And it's not just in terms of, you know, fight IQ or work rate, but yeah, just sometimes his chin seems great. Sometimes it doesn't seem so hot. Uh, and again, someone in Holmes that, as you said, super raw. I mean, he's 26 years old. This is only his ninth MMA fight, uh, especially at a camp like Glory MMA and Fitness. You expect him to probably be making big strides in between fights. Uh, someone like him, when you get to the UFC kind of this early and you're someone like Holmes that on the regional circuit, I mean, yeah, his skills have come along surprisingly fast, but also he's been able to get by on just next level athleticism compared to the people he's been fighting. He's just generally been the bigger, stronger and faster person against everyone he's fought so far. And when they get to the big show, fighters like that, sometimes they're able to make the adjustments quickly. And sometimes it takes a while and sometimes they never can make the adjustment. I mean, you know, I think of people, everyone from like Ariane Lipsky to Phil Hawes to like the Kosi brothers, you know, just different stories of people kind of getting used to freeway speed at the UFC and whether they do it immediately, it takes a while or not at all. Um, but yeah, I expect Holmes to be better than he was in his last fight. And I don't know what to expect from Pickett. So I, I'm leaning towards Holmes as well. Uh, give, give me Holmes by decision. All right. With that, we move on to what is, at least as the card is currently constituted and assuming a five fight undercard and five fight main card, and it doesn't really matter anyway because all 10 fights are on the same channel in a row. The top prelim of UFC on ESPN 32, it is a featherweight matchup between Bill Aljo and Joe Anderson Brito. Aljo, the man who goes by Senor Perfecto, a 32-year-old out of State College, Pennsylvania, is 14-6 and six overall. He is 1-2 since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, <clears throat> well, Actually, he competed on the third uh, season of Dana White's Contender Series. He actually lost a fight to Brendan Lochnane, who did not get signed either because Dana White was looking for killers that year. Uh, went back and uh, fought once more in CFFC, then was signed to the UFC. Uh, since then, he has lost to Ricardo Lamas, uh, beaten Spike Carlisle, and lost to Ricardo Hamos, which must be confusing for him since uh, their names are basically the same. Uh, he is taking on uh, Brito. It will be the debut for the Dana White Contender Series uh, Season 5 prospect who rides in on a 12-fight unbeaten streak. After losing his second career fight, he has gone 11-0-1 since. He is 12-2-1 overall. Uh, took a uh, technical uh, decision over Diego Lopez on uh, the first episode of last year's Contender Series. Uh, Brito... Uh, kind of in a running theme here, 
despite being uh, the debuting fighter, is favored to win. He's minus 135, where Aljo is plus 115 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, are those odds righteous? Is that how you see this fight? Who have you got winning? Yeah, I mean, it's this card is really balanced. I mean, there's not many fights that it's a, you know, blow one fighter, you know, in, in the odds. So, you know, having one guy slightly favor the other, like, I'm okay with that. Um, so Aljo is, is a guy I'm familiar with, as you mentioned, coming up from the contender series. He's a long and lengthy fighter. He has a lot of pro Muay Thai experience. He's a bit of unorthodox because he keeps his hands low and he really relies on on head movement, a little bit of a uh, Corey Sanhagen style, uh, high output pressure striker. He's a crisp striker. I tax with combos. I love that he, a lot of his combos will end with throwing kicks on the end, kind of using his, his long length. Uh, nice snap on his kicks too. Uh, he'll throw some flying knees. Uh, if, if he gets inside strong in the clinch, because he uses that height advantage to blast knees in the body. Uh, he will throw, uh, he likes upper body clinch takedowns. He'll even throw the head and arm. Uh, I we call it headlock where I'm from, but the head and arm throw. It I hate that because uh, we've talked about this many times. It obviously gives a, it gives you a chance for your opponent to take it back. It also just works on scrubs. Uh, he uh, not a, not a strong defensive wrestler though, because he's comfortable off his back. He'll toss up subs from the bottom. He has a Brazilian to black belt. Uh, if he doesn't get a submission, he does well to work back to his feet. Um, and he also he can catch submissions in, like, scramble positions. Like, he'll catch Kimura when an opponent's going for a takedown or jump on a guillotine, similar to, like, Brian Kelleher we talked about. Uh, move over to Brito, really fun guy to add to the UFC roster. 26 years old, so he's at that fun age. Extremely aggressive, like, shot out of cannon. Pressure striker, he's fast. He throws a power jab. He hits hard, winging shots. He can he can get wild though, um, trying to you know land a fight ending blow. Um, he'll throw in some spinning attacks, hard calf kicks. He'll he'll sneak in a takedown. Uh, you know he'll shoot out of a takedown or can get it from the clinch. Heavy top pressure. He does have five submission wins, and in his last fight against a good grappler in Diego Lopez on the contender series, he showed a good, strong submission defense and uh, the ability to escape from submissions. Cause Lopez a couple of times looked like he had uh, a sub and, and he found his way out. So prediction, this is a really good fun action fight. Brito is probably the more well-rounded fighter. However, I'm actually going to go with Algio, uh, Algio, I'm sorry, because he's the, probably the more technically sound fighter and if Brito gets wild, I think the American can kind of slip slip away from shots, land some of his own shots, and just use that that length. And uh, I actually think he might have um, that he's more technically sound. And he's a he's a guy that while Brito is a guy that jumps off the page with his power, Algio is a guy that it's deceiving power. So give me Algio and decision in a really 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 close fun fight. Uh, I I thought I was I was gonna. Uh you know, be the the one to make the upset pick here and, and kind of like stand out. But I'm I'm feeling you all the way here. I I like uh, Brito's ceiling as a fighter for somebody who's I mean, yeah, he has. This is his fifteenth fight. 
you know, at, at age 26, he, he has a feeling of rawness to him. And I think more than his skill set, it's just his approach. Like he is pathologically aggressive and kind of like I uh, said with somebody like Joseph Holmes needing to adjust to uh, not just being 10 times the athlete every uh, as everybody he fights at the UFC level. Uh, fighters that get by on pathological aggression on the way up also gen generally need to learn that lesson. I mean, Bill Aljo's only UFC win so far was showing that the Spike Carlisle trick doesn't work on UFC level fighters. Like that's that's literally his only UFC win. And I could see something similar happening uh, here. Not that Brito would gas out like Carlisle did, but just Aljo wasn't flustered, wasn't overwhelmed. Yeah, he lost the first round, but you know, while you know his opponent was getting tired, Aljo was figuring him out. There, there is something about the way Aljo presents that I think is always going to invite viewers to underestimate him a little bit. Like, he's a good-sized featherweight, but he's not Titanic. He's, uh, you know, a, a decently fit guy, but, you know, next to people like Spike Carlisle and Ricardo Lamas, he doesn't look like a, a monster athlete. Uh, and he's good at everything, but not off the charts great at anything. Like, he's, he's just a guy that kind of invites uh you know to be underestimated uh but i'm with you here i i think uh he's the perfect debut opponent for brito but i do think he'll be a little too much too soon for him he's exactly the the kind of guy that's not going to be uh flustered by brito's uh you know like his extremely aggressive approach and is just going to find a way to win two out of three rounds if i had to guess probably the second and the third give me aljo by decision the five-fight main card of UFC on ESPN 32 starts with a uh, lightweight matchup between Dakota Bush and Vyacheslav Borshchev. Bush, the man who goes by the nickname Harry, because this is MMA and we can't have nice things and we have to have fighters with nicknames that I can't say in front of my mom. 27-year-old, uh, 8-3 uh, overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC uh, as a former uh, LFA standout. Uh, he lost his debut last April via unanimous decision to Austin Hubbard. He is uh, welcoming another pretty highly touted prospect to the UFC uh, in Borshev, the man who goes by Slava or Slava Claus, I don't know why, uh, is 30 years old, fighting out of Team Alpha Male. He fought on Dana White's Contender Series last uh, October, knocked out Chris Duncan early in the second round to stamp his passport to the UFC. Uh, and again, the running theme, he is the favorite to win, moderate favorite. He's minus 180, where you can get Harry Bush. Yep, I said it. Uh, around plus 150 or plus 155. Uh, Keith, uh, is Borshev the real deal? Is uh, Bush the right man at the right time? Who you got winning this one? Um, some people like Harry Bush, some people don't. Is and, oh, and I've sorry. still got to introduce a fighter who goes by Raw Dog. I mean, <laughs> this is really uncomfortable. Yeah, Raw Dog and the Harry Bush <laughs> to go against each other. Um, the, so the question, if we're being serious for a second, the question is, you know, is he the real deal? Honestly, it's a big unknown because, you know, this is a guy that – all right, we'll start with him. He, he's, a, he's a fantastic striker. I mean, he is a former K-1 kickboxing champion. He's accurate. He's fast hands, fast jab, tight. Uh, stays in tight. Everything's uh, very relaxed. Tight hooks. I love that he attacks the body. Um, 
being that he's from a kickboxing background, he does stand up a little tall for my liking, but he's got really good head movement, bounces his head off the center line. Um, he has, I was watching some of the kickboxing, he has been rocked in the past, so that, um, something to watch for, but uh, very fast kicks. He dropped Chris Duncan on the contender series with a calf kick and huge power. And we saw that in his fight. The issue is we haven't seen really anything on the ground. Like he's been taken down. Um, he does well he, he, to work himself back up, including his fight against Chris Dunking, but he was taken out very easily on a shot that was uh, not really set up that well. It was kind of ugly. I mean, he had a Duncan Hurts, and you got to know he's going to go for a takedown. Um, now, move over to Bush. Bush is a wrestle boxer. I mean, on the feet, he's pretty light on the feet. Uh, he does step into his shots pretty good. He will target calf kicks, which I like. He'll sneak in a kick to the head. Uh, good entries, not a great wrestler, but good, you know, uh, a, 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 oh, I'm trying to say, like, he's, he's better than average. Like he's He comes from a wrestling background, uh, heavy top pressure if he gets to the ground. Uh, he does, I like that he doesn't stall out. He will look to advance position, good ground and pound, and he's got four submission victories. So uh, this all comes down to what, Bar, and help me out with the last name, Barshev is. Barshev, yeah. If, if I really want to pick Dakota Bush simply to the fact that we haven't seen Barshev's, uh against anybody with a strong, you know, uh, grappling game, which I think Bush has. But if Bush is dumb enough to stand up and bang with Barshev, he's going to get knocked out. And sometimes you just like this fight. Whoever's making a predictions fight, you're going off gut. Then you're not going off analysis because. You really don't know what game Bush is going to come forward. And sometimes you just – one guy couldn't can be special in the UFC, and the other guy is just a card filler. So I'm going to go with being two, 2022. I'll just stay more on the positive. So I'm going to go with the guy that could become something in the UFC. So I'm going to say Barashev does knock out Bush, and I'll say he does in the very first round. For those keeping track at home, this is the sixth fight on the card, and this is the sixth fight in a row uh, in which Keith and I are picking the same fighter <laughs> by the same uh, method in the same round. Uh, I, I am, however, with you in that anybody's take on this fight really is just an, an educated guess at best. I mean, we're talking about two guys with a grand total of one UFC fight between them, and in that one fight... Uh, Bush like was actually very competitive in a, a good back and forth fight with Hubbard, who I think of as being kind of in that very same pool of, you know, pretty good prospects who, you know, their ceiling might be to just, hey, man, can you believe, you know, Dakota Bush has 18 fights in the UFC right now? Like he's never really crept into the rankings, but he's grabbed a couple bonuses. And he's just hung around for a long time. Like that might be his ceiling in the UFC. Whereas based on what we've seen of Boris Jev, his ceiling is something special. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he's like Rafael Fiziev or or Giga Chikadze, but it's that same type of, oh, these are some dazzling highlights. This guy can throw all the strikes. He has power in all the strikes and, you know, like impressive hand and foot speed. Let's just see how he looks against someone who's defensively sound on the feet and or somebody that can test his ground game. Uh, Bush, if he so chooses, can certainly try to bring this to the to the ground and if I'm his coaches, I'm telling him, you know, throw throw some feints, but be looking to change levels and try to get this guy to the ground as quick as, as you can. Because for all we know, he has miserable takedown defense and, and you get an easy win. Like, we literally don't know. Uh, 
I don't know if Bush is going to do that. And Bush isn't that defensively sound. I, I'm with you. Like if he sticks around on the feet for any appreciable amount of time, he's going to get, he's going to start getting tagged hard. Uh, he might start getting tagged hard to the legs, which is going to, you know, discourage him uh, from changing levels. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is a good uh, debut matchup for Borischev. Give me Borischev by first round knockout as well. Maybe something for the highlight reel. Maybe something that gets the the hype train going uh, for just another really interesting prospect in the lightweight division. Next up at UFC Vegas 46 is a flyweight matchup between Caitlin Chukagian and Jennifer Maya. This is a fight that, well, you know, Keith and I, in discussing cards in general, will often, you know, kind of point out inconsistencies in bout order where bouts don't seem to be given the shine or prestige that they might otherwise deserve, you know, and there's always, there isn't, it's not even a question of whether there will be an obligatory unranked heavyweight slobber knocker. It's just how far up the card are they going to dare to put it? Uh, tonight, Jake Collier versus Chase Sherman is your co-main event. And Caitlin Chukagian versus Jennifer Maya, which based sh purely on rankings, might actually deserve to be the main event over Cater versus Chikadze. Like, Chikagian is ranked higher than Cater in her division, and Maya is ranked higher than Chikadze in, in her division. Like, how, about that? how about this? You got two former title challengers lower on the card than two heavyweights coming off of losses, both of them. One of whom is... Well, we'll get to that when we get <laughs> yeah, to that. Okay, okay, like, right. Sherman has one of the worst records of any but, fighter on... It's for the yeah. bare knuckle boxing fans, bare knuckle boxing legend. That, that's exactly what it is. Pride of Mississippi. At any rate, Chikagian, 33 year old, uh, out of New Jersey, is, uh, you know, on a night that we've had several, you know, upsetting nicknames. Her nickname is Blonde Fighter, which, if nothing else, I've met her and it is absolutely accurate. Uh, 16 and four overall, nine and four in the UFC. Uh, she is on a two-fight win streak. Those coming over Cynthia Calvillo and Viviani Araujo. The most recent of those, the Araujo fight, was at UFC 262 last May uh, here in Houston. Those allowed her to bounce back from a brutal uh, knockout loss to Jessica Andrade back in October of 2020, where she just got lanced with a punch to the body and, and, and crumpled. Uh, she is now going on two years since her unsuccessful try for the uh, uh, flyweight title against Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, she's taking on a fellow uh, Shevchenko victim in Maya. The 33-year-old from Curitiba is 19-7-1 overall. She's 4-3 and three since joining the UFC as uh, an outgoing Invicta uh, flyweight champ. That record, barely over 500, but reflects the fact that she was basically thrust into the title picture immediately as, you know, the reigning champ of the UFC's uh, primary feeder league for uh, for women. She uh, won her last outing last July over Jessica I, took a unanimous decision at UFC 264. That allowed her to bounce back from her unsuccessful try uh, for the title back uh, in November of 2020, where, hey, you know, she did make it to the final, uh, did make it to the final horn, lasted five rounds with the champ, even, you know, won a round from her, which in the era of the dominance of Shevchenko, I mean, that was literally pointed out as like a moral victory. Like, when was the last time someone took a round off of Shevchenko at flyweight? So, 
make of that what you will. Odds uh, on this one, favorite Chikagian, she is minus 180, Maya plus 155. Keith, I'm pointing out this a little odd that this fight is this far down the card, but I'm not complaining about it, and I'm not going to pretend that I don't understand it because the only thing I'm sure is this fight is going to be dreadful. It's going to be dreadful to watch. It's going to be miserable. And I say that without feeling like I'm bashing on fighters because I, I try to avoid doing that whenever possible, but because Chukagian openly embraces it. She steers into it. I, I mean, uh, she's fought, like I've, I've covered several of her events live and talked to her and been to the press conferences where she talks to everybody. And she's like, yeah, the fans are, are going to boo. It's not a super exciting style. They don't pay my checks. You know, I'm here, I'm here to win the fights. I'm, yeah. Whether you find it admirable or not, she's certainly open about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in fairness, they do pay her checks. And they fund her checks. Yeah, they don't sign her checks. That's a better word. They, they fund her checks. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, she is what she is. I mean, she's big for the weight class. She's long and lengthy. She's very intelligent, intelligent with those responses that saying this is the best way for me to win, but also intelligent in seeing the holes and the weaknesses of her opponent and exposing her. She constantly puts herself in the, I shouldn't say constantly, but she often puts herself in the best place to win. She's an elusive fighter. She uses movement well. Um, she adds just staying busy. And when I say staying busy, I mean, high volume of straight punches in the dead space in between her and her opponent that I, we've said this many times we're talking about Caitlin Chikagian, Holly Holm is also famous for this of striking to that open spacing and making sounds, which just tricks the judges that you're landing. It's uh, a style built for the apex too. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I haven't been to the apex, but I'm sure it is. Uh, she, she works behind a uh, jab. If her opponent does try to crowd her, she would do those Holly Holmes sidekicks. If you crash the pocket on her, she's strong in the clinch. She's uh, She's got good length there, but she's also a criminally underrated grappler. Uh, as we talked before, she trains in one of the best grappling gyms in the world with Hensel Gracie and John Denhar. Uh, she, I mean, you go back to like the Antonia Shevchenko, you saw the takedown she was getting on her. Good top control, solid ground and pound. Now move over to Jennifer Maya. Maya's not a great athlete, but she's well-rounded. She's a plus boxer who attacks with combos, a lot of straight punches. She has a Alex Volkanovsky stand to her where it's she likes to hold her ground and refu refuse to give an inch and then relies on picking up timing. And that is good and bad. It makes her a stationary target. But it improves her power because she's always got her base underneath her, if that, if that makes sense. The issue is going to their first fight, because this is a rematch, going to their first fight, Chikagian had so much success just moving around her and move and movement and mixing up her her attacks. And Maya never really picked up her timing. Now, Maya, if she can get to the clinch, she's strong in the clinch. She's got some mean, dirty boxing. I would say she's an okay wrestler, above average wrestler. Uh, she has very good takedown defense, and she is a submission threat. We saw it against uh, or the Joey Calderwood, I believe that she recently submitted. If if the fight hits the ground, no. This fight was two years ago, or a little over two years ago, 
mm-hmm. and it's a weird booking because why is it going to be any different? What has Maya added to her game that now is going to solve the riddle of Chikagan? She's going to have to blitz her. She's not going to, you know, going to have to not allow her to get comfortable just working from the outside without uh, having any offense really coming back. And she might even be better off turning into a clinch battle. I don't think either fighter will have a big advantage in the clinch, but I know she'll have a, she will not have an advantage working a outside point kickboxing game with Caitlin Chikagan. But until I see a difference, I just see Chikagan working on the outside, staying busy and winning a very boring saying to the media members afterwards, you know, they don't pay my checks. The fans don't pay my checks kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Agreed on all points here. Chikagian is, I mean, for all the reasons you pointed out, she's a great neutralizer. You know, like... Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good uh, word. Uh, and every everything about her, from the actual fight style, you know, down to how she talks about it, it reminds me of uh, Elias Theodoro. Elias Theodoro had, you know, good athlete with a good skill set that he used just in the most conservative and risk averse fight style possible. And he was happy to, to own up to it. And despite that, despite he had a good record in the UFC, despite being marketable, I mean, he was probably the best looking dude on roster uh, and uh, you know, kind of a witty and well-spoken guy. The UFC cut him as soon as they possibly could justify it. Uh, I, I not, wonder not if the ugly can... man guy. No, so he's not the ugly man. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I wonder if Takegian will find herself in that place. Like, you know, the UFC will be like, okay, you know, she's not getting another shot at Shevchenko. Like, we're going to cut her loose as soon as we can. But yeah, this fight, it's going to be the same dynamic as last time. Maya's going to want to be in the clinch. Chikagian's going to want to pot shot at range or from out of range at the air. And we've seen that Chikagian is the one of these two that is able to impose that on the other because, well, yeah, if, if one person wants to fight and the other wants to stay away, the one who wants to stay away is, is going to have the advantage. Uh, who's been able to close on Chikagian when she didn't want them to? Jessica Andrade and Valentina Shevchenko is about it. Uh, and those are two explosive women, and Andrade in particular has one-shot power. Like, anyone else, like, bouncing in and punching Chikagian in the stomach like that probably wouldn't have finished that fight. That's a Jessica Andrade special. Jennifer Maya doesn't have that in her. Uh, so, yeah, give me Chikagian by decision again. This one's going to be a rough one. But, hey, uh, the the winner is still right there in the top five. Third from the top at UFC Vegas 46 is a flyweight matchup between Brandon Royval and Hogeria Bontarine. Uh Royval, the Factory X product who goes by Raw Dog and explained it for everybody at the press conference this week. Uh, 29-year-old, 12-6 and six overall, 2-2 uh, two and two since joining the UFC as the outgoing LFA flyweight champ. Uh, he won his first two over Tim Elliott and Kai Kara France. Looked fantastic in both, uh, both by submission. Since then, has uh, suffered back-to-back losses. Those against, however, uh, Brandon Moreno, your current uh, UFC flyweight champ, and Alessandra Pantoja, who is right up there in the uh, top five as well. He is looking to bounce back against uh, Bontarin. The 29-year-old Brazilian is uh, 17-3 and overall with one no contest. He is 3-2 and since joining the UFC uh, as, and here's a bit of trivia for you, the first male fighter ever signed out of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. Uh, at any rate, 
three and two, won his last outing. That was a unanimous decision over Matt Schnell back at UFC 262 last May. Odds on this one, fairly close, but Royval is a moderate favorite. It's minus 160 for him, plus 140 uh, for Bontarine. Uh Keith, you and I, uh, I think, seem to agree between segments here that this one has fight of the night all over it. I mean, really, any men's flyweight matchup does in the absence of something really special from one of the other di- divisions. It's crazy to, to think that just three years ago, the UFC was down to like 11 flyweights left on roster they were flocking away. It looked to all appearances like the UFC was going to close the division. And most fans seem to be on board with that, just thinking they can never sell flyweight. And now they're usually the highlight of any card they're on. How do you see this fight going? <laughs> exactly like that, being the highlight of the card. Uh, this is a fantastic fight. It's a really hard fight to pick. Uh, I like both guys. It's one of these fights I kind of, both guys kind of need to win, especially Roy Bell. So, um, I love the fight, but I also hate it in that sense. Roy Val, southpaw, so athletic. He's a constant pressure, high-volume striker. He's long and lengthy, long jab. He uses length to he uses his length to actually close the distance, uh, or he you know the space in between him and his opponent. He just follows his jabs and his long legs in in the to, to strike to land shots. Uh, he loves flying stuff. He throws caution to the wind, flying knees, spinning attacks. I love that he throws great step-in knees. He really, he really knows that he's tall and how to use it. Uh, he's got some defensive holes, though. He keeps his hands low. He loses power because he tends to throw from his hips. Uh, he's been cracked. I mean, go back to the Kai Car France. Kai Car France almost knocked him out. He, he doesn't check leg kicks. That's another issue. And in the grappling, though, this guy is really fun on the ground. Flexible. He's a submission threat. Kind of catches submissions and scrambles. He has a very funky style to his scramble game where he just kind of keeps his hips moving. Very similar to his first opponent in the UFC, Tim Elliott. That's why the fight was so fun. He's a weak defensive wrestler, but some of that has to be that he's just so comfortable to be taken down. And he kind of makes it easy because – and this is like the third or fourth guy in this card. I said this probably he'll jump to a guillotine or something. Uh, he does make the mistake of chasing the sub instead of using space to get up. Uh, perfect example is that is Brandon Moreno. He had opportunities to get up and said he was chasing subs. Uh, but over and this guy will go hard the entire 15 minutes. Like he's an action-packed fighter. Now move over to Bontarine. He's also well-rounded. Fights out of both stances, constantly switching stances, tight, tight boxing. Um, a lot of power shots. He's extremely strong for the weight class. He's got power in both hands. He likes to throw it out to the in the pocket and and can really uh, hurt guys. Good uh, grappler. Good trip takedowns. He's good heavy top pressure. He's got 11 submission wins in his career. The one thing that has always jumped out to me, and I've the reason why I've saved this on the notes from Bontarine. He had a fight against Ray Borg where Ray Borg dominated him in the wrestling department, and that still is like a sore topic with me. I'm, I'm just so surprised by that because I see a really good grappler, and I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not letting that go because Ray Borg got like, I don't know, like eight takedowns or something like that. Uh, so as far as my prediction goes, I'm looking at the record of Brandon Royval, and I'm like, Tim Elliott, Kai Kara France, Brandon Moreno, 
Alexander Pantoja, and then Hajero Bontarin. Like, that's your five-fight run to start the UFC career. Like, that is a hard of a run anybody's ever faced. I mean, that's a murderous role right there. I mean, you got uh, top contenders. You got title challengers. You got the champ, current champion. Um, but so this fight is extremely tough to call. Bontarin has the power advantage. He also has the wrestling advantage. But Roy Vall has the length. I think he's probably the more technically sound. And I actually think he has the speed. I'm really on the fence. I I didn't make up my decision on who I was going to win until right before we went on air. I'm going to go with Roy Vall, but I'm going to take Roy Vall by closest of margin and give me Roy Vall by split decision. I love this fight as well. And I'm glad that you pointed out what a ridiculous gauntlet Brandon Royval has had to run since joining the UFC. And obviously, you know, he joined as a highly touted guy. I mean, he was the LFA champ and you know, LFA's got, you know, maybe the third best flyweight division in the in the sport. You know, like that's, that's one thing uh, LFA like still has been able to, to maintain. But yeah, like Tim Elliott, Kai Car France and then Moreno and Pantoja. Who, who has the second best? One championship, maybe like like what they would call like their strawweight division, yeah, like, yeah. like I know you know, that, Joshua that Paccio always, and yeah, yeah, but, I know this is always different, but yeah, I, I, just yeah, I, I mean, sorry to side note you, but yeah, uh, <laughs> they might have their second best. <laughs> like, uh, Royval is you know obviously a furiously energetic fighter, huge work rate ultra aggressive, which is why his last two fights have been so fun. I mean, Brandon Moreno and Alessandro Pantoja are both exactly the same. And he just, you know, came out on the wrong end of, of both of those. His fight with, with Moreno, that was an absolutely wild first round where he just happened to get the worst of it at the very closing seconds of the round. And, you know, that sent Moreno in one direction and him in the other as Moreno went on from there uh, to challenge for the title. Same thing in the loss to Pantoja, but he's been right there. Like, there's there's no reason this guy isn't one of the five best flyweights on the planet right now with with how things have gone uh and i agree with you that bontarina is an extremely dangerous opponent for him i i think of him he's a brazilian that kind of fights like a russian i don't know why i think that but i, I think that when i when i see him fight uh he is you know like definitely more of a stocky guy then he fights more like one you know he he uh he throws in combination. He's not just a single strike guy, but you know, lower work rate, uh, sits down on his strikes, more, more power. Uh, he's a heavier wrestler when he decides to wrestle as well, at least offensively. But, you know, I talked before about the, uh, Charles Rosa versus, um, TJ Brown fight and how Rosa's problem is he doesn't really have a round winning style. Like, unless he does something really badly to like hurt the other guy or like get a dominant position and hold it, it's hard for him to win rounds. Royval's the opposite. Unless you really do something bad to Royval, it looks like he's winning the round because uh, yeah. he's going wild all over you. Uh, because of that, I do favor him to win this one. You know, probably wins two rounds out of three, but all the individual rounds are extremely uh, competitive and we get a lot of back and forth action. Probably each guy has the other in some kind of trouble at some point. Easy fight of the night and give me uh, Royval by decision. With that, we come to the co-main event of UFC on ESPN 32 and... Unless somebody else on the card blows weight in a truly historic fashion on Friday, the only heavyweight fight on the card, it is Jake Collier versus Chase Sherman. 
Collier, the 33-year-old uh, Missouri native, is 12 and six overall. He's four and five in the UFC, and uh, much like um, Charles Rosa, has uh, alternated wins and losses throughout. Uh, notably, he is one and two since moving up to heavyweight. This is a man who started all the way back uh, at middleweight, had a fight or two at light heavyweight, and is now a heavyweight. And uh, I, to be perfectly honest, you know, there's a cosmetic difference between the guy, uh, you know, in his UFC debut and now. I'm not saying he's like the bad Tinder date of UFC fighters. Uh, in fact, I find him kind of inspiring because much like Jake Collier, I'm 50 pounds heavier than when I looked best too, but not only has it not stopped me from doing my job, I'm arguably the best I've ever been. So is Jake Collier. Uh, he is taking on Sherman, the 32-year-old uh, Mississippi native, 15 and eight overall. He is three and seven in the UFC across two stints with the promotion. This most recent run with the promotion, he is one and two. Uh, he beat Ike Villanueva. Uh, back in May of 2020 in his return to the UFC. Uh, since then, has dropped unanimous decisions to Andre Arlovsky and Parker Porter. The most recent of those, the Porter fight uh, back in August at UFC on ESPN, Cannoneer versus Gastelum. The odds on this one are fairly close. Collier minus 130, uh, Sherman plus 110 as, as the underdog. And I'll say this, uh, you pointed out earlier that this is a competitive card on the books. There aren't any real, like, huge... Uh, odds, you know, uh, any really like lopsided odds, even with the last minute thrown together fights, even with all the debuting people on the card, I think there's maybe one or two, two to one favorites on the entire card. I might argue that this should be one of them. Chase Sherman. Uh, I, it's not even that I'm not sure Chase Sherman is a UFC level heavyweight. I'm actually pretty sure he isn't. And it took me I'm going to be completely honest. It, it's the eyeball test and my own biases that probably took me so long to realize that. I mean, this guy's three and seven in the UFC. There aren't many people that have had that many fights with that low a winning percentage in the UFC. I mean, you have to look at like Elvis Sinisek for that. Uh, King of Rock and Rumble makes it into our podcast in 2022. Fantastic. Yeah. And by the way, I, I think I think Elvis is is great. Like he's great for the sport. I, I rooted for him when he was fighting. You know, like when they brought him in as a squash match for Bisping, I was totally root, rooting for him to just completely tip over the the apple cart and like fuck up the UFC's day. It didn't happen, but <laughs> this like, is when we geek out on old school MMA. Yeah, he he got brought in to fight Tito just because he had a cool nickname. <laughs> That's the only yep. reason. <laughs> and I mean, we're talking about a guy that at the time probably walked around like 189 pounds soaking wet and he's fighting Tito Ortiz, like one of the first fighters to really, really cut weight. <laughs> it like we would think in a modern way. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Like Tito Ortiz, like beating people like Patrick Cote with a pot belly and Elvis Sinisic, who probably had to weigh in with like a bucket of chicken in his hand. Uh, Get that shit I out forgot of here. about like, the Patrick Cote filling in for Guy Mesger. Yeah, and, and Patrick Cote put Tito on skates. He did. He dropped him. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't twice, anyway. think about it, going down <laughs> twice. Tito had these fights that he dominated. We got dropped right away. But like, obviously the Ken Shamrock one too. Yeah. Like anyway, Chase Sherman. The problem is Chase Sherman looks like he should be a good UFC heavyweight. Like when you get a guy that's just naturally six, four and 255 pounds without being fat, you're like, well, 
that dude is going to be a good heavyweight one day. It's a combination of that and the fact that he was quite young when he started in the UFC. I mean, he's still only 32. Uh, I just something in the back of my mind has just always been like, oh, it's just going to take time for him to figure it out, turn the corner. I'm done waiting for him to figure it out and turn the corner. Like, just he, when you look at these two guys at the weigh ins, you're going to be like, oh, the tall guy's going to whoop ass just based on the eyeball test. And it's just not the case. And not only is it not the case, all the things that you would think you know from the eyeball test are wrong because even though Jake Collier like just literally has like 50 or 60 pounds of fat on him that he didn't have, you know, five years ago, gas tank is not a problem. He's still a pretty nimble guy on his feet. Like I'm not saying he's, you know, surreal gone, but I, I would, I'd say he's not a minus athlete by the standards of the division. You know, I, he's just one of those guys that, he jiggles a little bit when he moves, but he moves. Uh, I I expect that uh, Collier is going to keep this a, a stand-up battle, and I think he's going to uh, win. I think he's going to win going away. Like, he's either going to win the last two rounds with ease, or he's going to get stronger while Sherman fades and get maybe even like a TKO in the third round. Because we've been picking, like, the same winners and the same results all night, uh and because I don't want to manifest into existence like eight out of these 10 fights going to the final uh, horn, I'm going to say that Collier gets a third round TKO. Maybe hurts Sherman, hurts a tired Sherman on the feet, falls into the ground, finishes this thing off, does the truffle shuffle, and I stand up and cheer in my seat. Sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> that I lost all my skills during our couple weeks off. Uh, so Chase Sherman looks like a guy that... Yeah, you're right. Like he looks like a great athlete, a heavyweight. He looks like a guy that could be in WWF, but be one of these guys. Like when the NWO came out, he'd be in the NWO, but like not Hulk Hogan. Obviously, he'd be like one of the guys in the background that just like wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't really say anything, but just would like look tough and then throw up like the wolf pack symbol to the crowd, and that's it. Like and then they would like jump Sting. Like that's what Chase Sherman looks like. <laughs> like. He just quiet, but like he has the look of mm-hmm. uh, like big henchman type, you know, oh, or totally be a be a be a bodyguard for Shawn Michaels or something. Um, so I'm a little higher on, on Chase Sherman than you are, but uh, not much. I I like his boxing a little bit. He's 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 got some tight boxing, but he's he's a bit of a stationary target for a guy who looks like he can move around. He really doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't move laterally. Um, I said this before, and I'll say it again. He looks like a guy who does a lot of pad work and not a lot of foot drills, footwork drills. Doesn't you know? Uh, he is a bit of a builder. He can get stronger as the fight goes on. Um, but and he used a lot of feints. His left hook is his best punch. Uh, he landed a uh, really clean elbow against Ike Villanueva, which was nice. Uh, some nice stepping knees. He's added some calf kicks. But he he lacks power at heavyweight. Like he does, he's not a big cracker where he, you know, drop you with one shot. American Martin Tybura. There you go. He's not. He looks he's like he's a, hit way harder than he does. Yeah, he's yeah, he's not a big. He's one of the weaker hitters in the division. He doesn't grapple. He, you know, he throws some calf kicks, but. Um, he, he doesn't clinch battle. Like, he's just kind of a boxer. I mean, he's kind of set for bare-knuckle boxing where he came from. Now, moving over to Collier, 
is as much as we kind of like to tease him and his big gut, and I know he's, I think he's slimmed down a little bit for this fight. He's looked good at heavyweight. I mean, he's a high output, which is crazy when you think of this guy with a big belly hanging out, jiggling around. Uh, he's a high output with some tight boxing. He fights behind a high guard. I love the variety in his strikes. Uh, busy jab, throws hooks to the body, uh, throws combinations. He mixes up high and low really well. Uh, throws kicks everywhere, nice kicks to the body. We'll throw a kick to the head. Uh, he throws some calf kicks. He does have a wrestling background, though he hasn't got a takedown since 2014. So at this point, I think that's kind of gone. He he did gas a little bit against Carlos Felipe, but that pace was so high that like a gassed out Jake Collier is still putting up a higher volume than like fresh heavyweights. So it's funny because I I was someone was talking on Twitter and they said, oh the co-main event is a bunch of guys that will never break the top 15 and I think I think Collier could uh if you take Chase Sherman yeah you look at the two guys with their shirts off and you'd say yeah that that NWO henchman guy is better than the better than the guy who's sitting in the stands watching the wrestling because that's what Jake Collier looks like you know with uh his tight Coco B West shirt on but uh I'm taking I'm with you man I'm taking Collier I think he's the fastest striker. I think he's got more output. I think he's got better variety. And I really see him teeing off on Sherman. I was taking Kalia by third round TKO. That's why I laughed when you said it. Uh, I know you were trying to change change it so we wouldn't have the same one. So I will change my pick so we have a different one. And I'll say Kalia wins in a lopsided decision. There you go. Two picks for uh, Kalia to keep the train rolling. And don't make fun, guys. Anybody is three wins away from being in the UFC heavyweight top 15. You are three wins away from being in the UFC heavyweight top 15. And most of these guys are four wins away from being in the title picture. That's heavyweight for you. With that, we come to the main event of UFC Vegas 46, a high-level featherweight matchup between Calvin Cater and Giga Chikadze. Cater... The 33-year-old Massachusetts native is 22 and 5 overall. He is 6 and 3 since joining the UFC out of uh, kind of all your usual suspect uh, east and northeast promotions. Uh, he fought most recently uh, almost exactly a year ago on the inaugural UFC on ABC event where he headlined against former champ Max Holloway and suffered what frankly it was a record-breaking beatdown in the most literal sense uh Holloway set the UFC records for total strikes landed, total strikes thrown, headshots landed, just statistical fireworks in a completely one-sided shellacking. Uh, Cater, for what it's worth, does get the moral victory of having made it out of the fight and uh, having landed many, many strikes of his own, just soundly outlanded throughout the fight. Took a year off, and he is back, and he is welcoming back a guy who has uh, kind of burst onto the scene and uh, rocketed into contention. Giga Chikadze, the 33-year-old Georgian by way of Southern California, is 14-2 overall. He is a perfect 7-0 since joining the UFC, uh, not out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, but after losing on the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, where uh, he was choked out in the third round by Austin Springer. Uh, he went back to California, won back 
uh, won a couple fights in Gladiator Challenge, got the call up in late 2019, and since then it has been a lot of dazzling highlights, not much in the way of serious challenges to his supremacy. Uh, fought twice last year, uh, Lansing Cub Swanson with a body kick, which he has dubbed the Giga Kick, but I'm sure Boss Rutten would call it something else for you. And then uh, knocking out Edson Barboza in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 30 in August. Uh, Chikaze is a substantial favorite to win this fight. Uh, minus 240, Cater is plus 195, and with all the instability at the top in the featherweight division, there is every possibility that this fight ends up being a title eliminator for only one of its participants. Or Because if Takaze wins, uh, considering that the featherweight division is so starved for top contenders, like as deep as the division is overall, right in this moment, it's so starved for top contenders that the UFC was trying to do Volkanovski versus Holloway 3, even though Volkanovski's up 2 to nothing. Holloway's out, and it's Korean Zombie uh, stepping in for the title shot, not because he is necessarily the most deserving challenger on paper, but because he's the biggest name available on short notice. The division is starred for contenders. Uh, Chikadze is undefeated in the UFC, has a hell of a highlight reel, and... Uh, unlike some of the other featherweight up-and-comers, he's actually 33, where people like Movsar Ivloyev and Ilya Tapuria and Arnold Allen are still in their mid-20s. So, yeah, the, the, this, the, the future might be now or very, very soon for the man who calls himself Ninja. Keith, it is a guy that we agree is bursting through every new challenge with ease and style versus a fighter from Boston. So I have the feeling I know which way you're going on this one, but please break down this main event for us. Well, the most surprising thing is the UFC missing a golden opportunity. I mean, why did they just pull Giga Chikazi from this main event? When you have a such a great co-main event, like Chase Sherman versus Jake Collier in the co-main event, I mean, that easily could just get promoted to the main event and still would have been the car been perfect. Yeah, right? absolutely. Obviously, Obviously, guys, I'm making a joke. I was being sarcastic. Um, side note, I, you know, we were talking about the featherweight title picture. I suppose it, it seemed like nobody was talking about Josh Emmett, who's on a what, four four fight win streak instead of uh, the Korean Zombie's one fight winning streak. Obviously, Henry Cejudo was tossing his name in there too, but you know, I'm surprised that nobody was mentioning Josh Emmett. Anyways, back. To I think it's an out of sight, out of mind thing because you know he'll disappear for a, a while. Sure. I mean, That's he's fair. on like a, a you know five or six fight winning streak, but that streak has taken like five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's um, so as far as this fight. I mean, you want me to get right into my prediction, right? Yeah, please. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we we joked about the card being a warm up, and you know what it is it, the card. And this is if you skip into this part, if you if you listen to the intro, I talked about it. Um, you know, we're the, the, not the best card, not the best undercard, but you know what this is like. Yeah, this might be the I don't know what teams I said. I think it was like Ohio State versus Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 but you know what this is? Suddenly it's overtime, and Oral Roberts is playing Ohio State. And also, we're we also going to start tuning in and see what the hell happened. It's exciting. And that and that's how this card is ending. Uh, not that either one of these fights is Oral Roberts, but I'm just saying is. It, it, the card is ending as exciting as possible with yeah. two two of the best featherweights in the world. Now, Calvin Cater, 
uh, very technically sound. He's a boxer. He he can be a slow starter, but that's because he's setting traps. Very Anderson Silver, John Jones, they kind of did this little similar things. Uh, he will pick the pace up as the fight goes on, but his patience early, we've, we've seen him give away rounds and, and really gave away a fight to beat Megan Sharapov because of that. Um, but when he's flowing, he, he's really good. He fights long. He does well to keep his opponents at the end of their strikes. As I said, he has great fluidity in his punches, good hand speed, good accuracy. He throws straight punches down the pipe, uh, everything coming inside. One of the best jabs in the UFC has good footwork. He will switch stances. Um, I pointed up last time we talked to him. I love when he's in the orthodox stance and he switches to the south point and like immediately throws like hard hook from that side as soon as he does, kind of catching the catching his opponent, transitioning their brain to a different you know angle. Uh, he uses feints well, slick combinations. I, I love the step back uppercut that he uses when his opponent's trying to blitz him. Uh, he will target the body. He's got really underrated, good, like not even good. He's got great power. Um, the couple couple ones that I pointed out before is the he turned Jeremy Stevens, uh, Jeremy Stevens into a wrestler. Like who who hurts Jeremy Stevens where he wants to wrestle you? And Dan Ige, Dan Ige was hurt so bad he started pulling guard from Calvin Kidd's punches. Uh, the step in the elbow just absolutely destroyed Jeremy Stevens. Uh, the flying, he likes to throw flying knees when he's starting to fail himself. Um, but because of his wrestling heavy style, he's he's having that front foot. We haven't seen him fix it yet. Going all the way back to the like that was something that Hanato Moikano had a lot of success with. He also doesn't like being pressured. Like people forget, but Chris Fisco was doing some, you know, was having some success early, and even Rock Cater by just kind of blitzing him, especially when considering Kate is a slow starter. He's a weak defensive wrestler, but if you take him down, he's very hard to hold down. And uh, so despite being all the stuff I said about Calvin Cater, like that was all the positives. The negative is we just saw him get one of the biggest beatdowns in the history of the sport, as you talked about with Max Holloway, which was still not shocking that Max Holloway outstruck Calvin Cater. Shocking of how easy that was for Max Holloway. Um, maybe something was off from, from Cater that night. Maybe he had an injury, something we don't know about. Uh, but that worries me a lot. It worries me how much damage did he take. And now he's going to come back and he's got to fight a even more decorated striker than Max Holloway in Giga Chikatse. Now, Chikatse, you know, glory kickboxer, former glory kickboxer, very light on his feet. He's a, he's a beautiful counter striker. Throws a lot of feints to draw your attacks. I love that he feints with his hips, with his shoulders. Just little movements tend to get you going. He's so calm. He's so poised. You can tell he has so much experience on the feet. He sees everything. He can really be effective striking from both stances. He's got very fast hands. He's got power, knockout power in both hands. He's like a sniper with his power shots. He doesn't miss. He's very accurate. His overhand right is so deadly. Uh, just doing tape study again. I was one note I said about him last time was that he'll throw his his overhand right from different angles. He'll purposely will come like wide on one, uh, or then in like more shorter inside. So he'll hit you with that one, and then you see it coming next time, and then he takes a wider approach and he kind of wraps it around. Uh, a good example of that is <laughs> probably well, I don't know if this is the best example, but <laughs> what what Jake Paul did to Tyron Woodley. Is where you you throw it inside and then you come around it next time. So they kind of they're bringing their 
guard in and you, you wrap it around. The other thing I like that he does, I've noticed this time watching tape study because he's he really is a mystery of the more tape study you see on a guy, you realize how brilliant they are. And, and then you realize how not brilliant you are because uh, there's such levels to what he does. I love that he actually changes the speed of his throws. Like he'll throw a punch at one speed, almost slow it down a little bit. So the next time he throws it, he actually throws it faster. So you, you thought you picked up his timing and you did it. Like it, it, it's like a changeup in baseball. Like he, he throws the 78 mile per hour changeup. And then the next pitch is the 98 mile per hour fastball. Like it, it, it's, it's crazy. That guy would do that. It's, it's so impressive. Um, really, really good. I mean, we didn't even get to his kicks, yeah. I said body kicks. You talked about the Chikotse kick there, um, calf kicks. The one concern, and it's it was a concern going into Barbosa fight, it's a concern going into this fight, is last time we saw him grappled, he got out grappled on, on the contender series. We really haven't seen him challenge that too much um, recently, and that's still a concern. Like, I don't know how good of a grappler he is. Now, as far as prediction goes, Cater can wrestle this and win. He's a criminally underrated grappler. He's pretty good. I just don't expect it. I expect to see a war in the feet. Cater trying to do his boxing while uh, Chikatse is using, you know, the full eight points. It's They're both really good. So if either if, if Cater pieced up Chikatse and knocked him out, like it wouldn't shock me. But I'm gonna go with a guy that I've seen is in his last fight smash somebody and, and instead of getting smashed. I think Chikatsi is gonna batter up Cater's legs, take away his power, take away his base with with leg kicks and body kicks, and then I think he's gonna start slowly working his way up, landing shots. Cater has not uh, been knocked out in the UFC. He's so I don't think that's gonna happen. But I think we might see an, another like one sided. Uh, like really, really one-sided fight with with Chikotsky basically making his title, you know, his title fight statement with a one-sided shellacking of Cater. I mean, leaving aside the X's and O's for a moment, because you you did such a good job breaking those down, in particular the way that Chikotsky varies speeds and angles to keep less sophisticated strikers, even people who are good strikers by MMA standards, just keep them guessing and just making them look amateurish when they are not, you know, the thing that we've seen out of people like Israel Adesanya, taking people that are good MMA strikers and just making them look ordinary. But there's starting to be a little bit of just a feeling of destiny about the guy. And I, I hate using such like a vague and fuzzy term about that, but for his last I mean, leaving aside the Jamie Simmons fight, which was just a late notice matchup. They did what they could. It was an obvious squash match, you know, but in general, his on his way up every logical next step, like this is a good next challenge for this guy to see if he's the real deal. He's blown through them with such ease that in hindsight, we feel silly for even thinking it was going to be a challenge. And when I think of fighters who were like that, we're talking about John Jones and Conor McGregor on their way up. It, it's kind of those guys where it, and I'm feeling that AJ, way about him. AJ McKee and Bellator, maybe. AJ McKee and Bellator. Oh, that's absolutely a great one. Like, you know, uh, I thought at the very least 
you know, uh, Darian Caldwell was going to give an interesting look to Mickey. Like, what happens when he's not necessarily the better wrestler? What happens when he's on his butt? What happens when he's on his butt is he does something we've never seen before and makes it look like he's practiced it a million times. Yeah, something, like, yeah. we, were, we were silly, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, it's the same here. Like, I thought Cub Swanson might be, if he wanted to, could have been a guy who, who could have uh, tested Takazi's ground game. A guy that's difficult to put away. You know, we all remembered the Jose Aldo knockout, but that belies the fact that Cub Swanson had never been stopped since. And Chikadze did it, and he made it look easy. I actually picked Barboza over Chikadze, even though, like, I, I didn't necessarily think... So did I. Yeah, like, and he was a huge... Under, like, Barboza was a huge underdog in that fight, and for me, the pick was almost... Like, it was taking a flyer almost as a reaction. Like, this shouldn't be, like, a minus 350 or whatever it was. But, again, maybe... I mean... In the team photo for the greatest strikers in the in the history of the UFC, and still close enough to the prime of his career to make no difference, Chikadze made it look easy again. Yeah, Here, right. like Cater, it's another thing. Chikadze prefers to operate from range. Like, if you let him fight at his range and his pace, if you let him determine the range, you're on the gun. Like, you're in the line of fire the entire time. Well, Cater's a guy that is not going to settle for a distance kickboxing match. He has to get close to do what he wants to do offensively. So how's Chikadze going to do against the guy who comes forward, is a very sound boxer, has a great chin, and has the threat of the takedown? And on paper, that sounds like a fantastic next challenge. And at this point, I'm just, I, I've learned my lesson. Chikadze is going to make, a, is going to find a way to make this look pretty easy. You know, there are such levels to this. You know, Holloway made Cater just look a complete step behind, made him look amateurish in the same way that Cater did to Ige, even though Ige is a very good striker himself. There are levels to this. Chikadze is on another level. Like, I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but I, I expect it will start with him just pounding Cater's legs and body with kicks. But, you know, once this is out of the first round and Chikadze is building momentum, like, I think he's going to light him up with punches as well. You pointed out that he has knockout power in both hands and he throws both from unexpected angles. Uh, I think we will see something that we haven't seen here before, which will be the Boston finisher getting Vegas finished. Give me Giga Chikadze by a third round knockout. And that's it. That's the Sherdog radio preview for UFC on ESPN 32. Uh, Cater versus Chikadze. I am Ben Duffy, your host. I am here with Keith Schillen. Did we pick all the same fights? I believe we picked all the same fights. Just we didn't get all the outcomes. If this is the first time you're watching this. We did what the charges should have done with the Raiders. We took the tie. (laughs) Just take take the tie. You both move on. Anyway. if this, is, if this is your first time watching us, I don't know why you chose one of the lowest stakes cards ever to start watching this show, but welcome. And normally we actually disagree on a bunch of fights, but uh, we've tried <laughs> to keep it live. Ben, are you telling me that someone's New Year's resolution is like, are you surprised that someone's New Year's resolution is to watch more of the Sure Dog Radio Network YouTube well, channel? That's great. And if it is, I just hope it lasts longer than most. Uh, yeah. New Year's resolutions because most of those expire Already before your gym window. membership even gets a chance to auto renew. Uh, 
The uh, fights take place this Saturday. Afterwards, we will, of course, be doing a live recap, even if it is slightly distracted by the Patriots playoff game. I have to take the wheel a few times because Keith is is mad or has to mute and cuss a bunch, like whatever whatever happens. We'll be here. It's on the Sherdog YouTube page. The uh, live chat is always rocking. We take your questions, your comments. Uh, if we were wrong about any of these fights, we were wrong together. So you can keep all the abuse you want onto us. But uh, got anything else for the folks, Keith? Nope. Happy New Year. And we're going to rock this all year. Yep. Uh, thanks for watching. And we'll talk to you after the fights.